0: Okay, well, good morning. My name is Chad. Uh, I'm one of the pastors. I think I've met a lot of you, but like it's good to see faces. It's good to get to step into this together. We are in week two of our Advent series and week one around hope. Week two, uh, peace. We light the peace candle and I just want to name this uh, if maybe you are like me. Uh, in that I grew up just not understanding Advent in any way, what it meant, what it was about, what, what it was in any way. I didn't grow up in the church, And so I had all sorts of strange thoughts of, like, just confusing things about, like, is Advent entirely about a baby? And then I would see these nativity scenes. And one of my earliest memories that I have is a nativity scene, and then maybe, I hope this isn't in any of your yards necessarily, uh, but, like, a nativity scene. And then it had, like, Santa kneeling down at the nativity scene. And so I just came into it with all these, like, wait, is Santa in the Bible? What does this have to do with everything? Like, is everything looking towards Jesus? Hands up, like, have they not found this baby? Like, where is it? Like, what are we longing for? All all of those questions in here. And I say that both confessionally and just realistically, we've got some work to do around what we're actually longing for. And this can get confusing because you're like, wait, I thought we were talking about Christmas season and Advent and we're reading a passage about death and like clouds and all sorts of things. Yes and amen. That's where we're at. And and, spoiler alert, real peace comes through and only through the, the birth, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And if this Jesus is able to conquer the biggest enemy of peace, all those other enemies all those other small things that keep peace from our life, find their proper perspective. So today, here's what I want us to do. I want us to see the beauty of the resurrection and how it pulls back into our everyday parts of our life. We're going to just talk about that, just exactly that death has been conquered. Death has been conquered. Totally, completely. Cosmically and eternally, death has been conquered, and yet we also want to name some of the ways in which you and I kind of stumble into, like, trying to avoid death and and all of this, and then hear the invitation of Scripture for our Tuesday and for the next week, for this season, and for our life to live differently because of it. Will you pray with me? And then we'll dive into this passage. Lord Jesus, we thank you, we thank you that the story doesn't end with you in a manger. We thank you that the story doesn't end with you on a cross. We thank you that the story doesn't end with you in a tomb, that it doesn't even end with you raising from the tomb because all of this points to a return of this king. Help us to believe this morning. Help us to be people that don't just put it in our brain box and walk away, but to be people moved and changed by your word. So help us, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's just start right here with the text. We're in chapter four, 1 Thessalonians chapter four. We'll pick it up in verse 13, but like you guys are smart people. I assume this, you guys are smart people. 13 isn't the beginning of the chapter, So we're going to pick it up in verse 13, and I want you to see what it starts with. It starts with this conjunction, this this connector. And I, I, I harp on this a lot because we need to recognize that these things are in context. And so we're going to read about death here in a second in 13 and 14 and what God did with death. But it comes out of a conversation that starts in one around, like, brothers, like, this is how you walk to please God. This is how you live to please God. When the Bible uses walk, so often it's referring to how we're to live. How we're to to live, not just on a Sunday, but on a Tuesday in the everyday spaces and places of our life. And so then it it goes all the way to to 12, and it repeats that, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And then it goes to 13, and it starts with but. And so how you are to walk a life following after Jesus is directly connected to these next few verses in how we're supposed to play that out. Verse 13, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. As you're walking, as you're living, as you're going through life, your work, your play, your friends, your family, those people who drive you nuts, those situations that drive you crazy, as you walk through them, we don't want you to be uninformed of these things. Okay, so what's so important to how we walk that he's connecting it right here and doesn't want us to be uninformed is how we interact with death and what that is. He goes on, about those who are asleep, I have more to say about this in a minute, but like about those who are asleep, that is a way that the Bible uses repeatedly to refer to those who have died so we're not talking about get a good night's sleep. We're not talking about just like, hey, did you get your eight hours? Are you crazy on these things? No, it's like, how do we live and in, in, in walk in this? We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. That you may not grieve as those others do who have no hope, okay? So how we grieve is directly connected to walking in a life that's following after Jesus. How we grieve, how we see this, how we see the obstacles in life who have no hope. It doesn't say don't grieve. It doesn't say stuff your grief. It doesn't say ignore your grief. It says perspective is different. And in Paul, the, the writer of this, wants you to know that how you grieve, how you interact with those challenges in life are directly related to how we walk. And, and again, spoiler alert, are directly related to where we find real peace. You're like, well, wait a second. I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. Why? Again, four, here's that connector. Four, verse 14, since we believe if you are a follower of Jesus, if you confess Jesus as Lord, that's who he's writing to here. That's the brothers. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who who have fallen asleep. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And Jesus will do that in the lives of those who are following after, have trusted and believed in Jesus. That is beyond our description. People have written volumes of works on this. And we can we can come up with all sorts of things Things that are really smart and worth our time to think about what that looks like and what that means. And it's still beyond our comprehension. It's still beyond our comprehension. And yet it's as straightforward as possible. Is that it's saying, let me, let me give you a paraphrase it, death does not have the final word, death is simply. declaring the death of death. It's declaring that this has changed, that everything is different. And he even ends this section, he even ends these words in verse 18. He says, therefore, because of all of this, because because that death has been done away with, death is not the biggest enemy. It's not the boogeyman anymore. It's not the biggest harm. It's not the end of all that you're here for. Because death has been dealt with, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. With these words. Encourage one another with these words. Man, I, I think about my, my own walk with Jesus. I think about growing up. I remember a good chunk of my life without faith. I remember coming to faith and, and believing this Jesus but being completely confused by these Christians. It, it, it not understanding this disconnect because like, I, I just have so many questions about the what and the why of life, And I still find myself wrestling with these things. I still have big, like, like, how are we actually living this out? And I even told him, uh, I told Zach in between services, I was like, man, we sing this song, and I feel like I'm such a liar in singing this song. I actually need you to help us, like, hear the heart of God for people like me. We have these spots that are disconnected. We have all sorts of places in our life where, even as Christians, we just want to avoid death at all costs. We want to run from it. We don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Just even think about the language that we have. I, I, I would, let's give the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the language that we use around talking about death is coming from a good spot. Maybe it's coming from fully believing this in our entire lives. Maybe it's coming from the best spot that we now talk about funerals as celebrations of life. Except I don't think that's entirely true. I think sometimes it's true. Maybe it starts out from a good spot. But most of the time, I think the, the celebrations of life I've been to are an avoidance of talking about hard things. And sometimes we don't even know how to deal with grief and lament anymore. And what this passage is telling us is I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to grieve like the world grieves because you don't have anything to grieve about. God has done the work for you. And death doesn't have the final say. And so there are all sorts of enemies of peace. There's all sorts of enemies in our life that would distract us from things, that would, uh, would knock us off. Like it's hard to see death as, as something that is actually has another story to it if we're uninformed, if we haven't read passages like this, if we don't, if we don't really hear and know the story that Jesus didn't just stay in a manger, But he lived. If all we do at the Christmas season is talk about a baby in a manger, then we miss the real peace that is brought to us by the story. And hear me clearly, the incarnation is essential. It is of, it is of massive importance to our faith that the real Jesus was born and lived and that this story is true. It's just not the whole story. Because Jesus grew up. Jesus went to a cross. Jesus went to a tomb. And Jesus rose again. And Jesus is coming again. That longing that we feel. That longing. Yeah. I remember when I first started coming to church, I started going to church. I wasn't even a believer, but there were a lot of pretty girls. I've told this story before. I don't need to go down that. I I went to church for a lot of different reasons. And what I started finding out is like, oh, man, like I feel okay about myself. And someone will just kind of slap you around and they tell you stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm a bad person. I'm sorry, God. Okay, I'm going to go off and do all the exact same things again and again. And I found myself in this loop that I've seen repeated over and over again in the lives of a lot of people who attend church regularly and may have faith in this. But we we can find ourselves in this loop of going to church like we're playing with a balloon, right? Like we've all played with a balloon in this. And there are kind of two ways a balloon stays in the air. And if you're a kid, you've probably played with a balloon at some point. And what do you do with the balloon to keep it in the air? You start slapping it around. You're like, oh, now you're diving across the furniture to keep the balloon in the air. You're doing all sorts of things. and like, oh, man, I kept that balloon in the air. I got that thing in the air. And friends, for too many of us, that's how we attend church. I've known people who came just so that they would feel bad for a few minutes, say, I'm sorry, God, feel like they got slapped around a little bit, and then left again. And if that's how you've been in ch- attending church, if that's how you've been approaching faith is like, well, God's going to tell me I'm bad and he's going to do this. And then somebody's going to stand up here and tell me the same thing. And then they're going to say, God, be with these people. Hope and peace. Well, like, I want that, but I've never actually experienced hope, peace, or real abundant life that the Bible talks about. But the, there's a second way that balloons get filled up, right? Right? they stay in the air, and we know what that is. It's helium, and we love helium, all these things, and it keeps it in the air, but like, there is something else that has come, and it's taken its place, and it doesn't have to be beat up. It stays going, and, it, and if we just didn't have a ceiling, it would just keep going, keep going, keep going, and, like, the story of the Bible is not one of beating people up. It's one of being changed from within and having an entirely new substance within in which we soar. Life is different, and we soar because of it, because everything has changed. All perspective has changed because this baby has come. But it wasn't just a baby who stayed in a tomb and Santa Claus kneeling next to him. It was like, no, this baby has come, but he grew But friends, like, we love baby Jesus, don't we? It's so easy just to love baby Jesus. And it's almost safe to love baby Jesus. And a lot of us pray that Ricky Bobby prayer, which is like, oh, just infant baby Jesus in your gold fleece diaper. We love you so much. We like to avoid the things that Jesus has told us the things that the Bible has made clear that life looks different, you're not going to find peace from all those things that you're chasing after. You're not going to find real hope in all those things chasing after you. And following after Jesus isn't an hour and a half thing on Sundays. And so for so many of us, we, we just avoid it with our language. We even have people now. I read about this this week. We have people that are, are part of a movement called immortalists. I'd never heard of this before. Like trying to create, I'm not making this up, like human machine hybrids. This is crazy stuff. I read a, an article in Popular Science the other day. It, it makes this prominent Is death real? That's the title of it. Is death real? I'm like, I'm in. I'm reading that. I'm reading that. <laughs> And then it goes this. Here's the subtitle it says, A mind blowing scientific discovery could change what it means to die. My mind was not blown, people. My mind was not blown. We have all sorts of ways that we try to avoid the subject. We try to avoid it. And hear me when I say this: there are, there are ways in which we should be responsible people. Don't go try to base jump Boot Hill or whatever, and stuff like. Don't go crazy driving all wild stuff. Don't be stupid risk taker. But also, don't find yourself paralyzed by. Whoa, wait, what is this? What do I do? I know people that uh, bubble wrap their family to try to keep them from every possible scenario. And the Bible tells us I don't want you to be uninformed. We have people who try to cheat death and, and live forever, the immortalists. And we have we have people who are, are, are so consumed by death that it seems like a good option even now. There, there are people going through difficult circumstances in, in which it, it, we become fatalists and we're like, man, everything would be better if I just... God. There, there are ways in which we've seen people go through long suffering, in which is like I'm going out on my terms, and whatever we call it, again, this is not a political statement. Whatever we call it, a physician-assisted suicide, or or it's just suicide in general. It's all trying to take matters in our own hands, and it doesn't lead to peace. And yet the Bible gives. A different word. I know I'm stepping on some toes here. I know that I'm kind of crawling uh, right up in your face and saying, don't let this Christmas season, don't let this Advent season just be uh, a holly jolly time of talking about a manger only. Can't we just sing our songs? Can't we just enjoy our lights? Can't we just like consume all that Amazon has for us and, and wait for the day and long for the day and when we should get to open all of our presents? But we sing about come Lord Jesus, not suddenly saying like, wait, what, was he not born? Like, no, he has been born. We are saying come long awaited Jesus again. Again, both are true for us. God doesn't want us to be uninformed of these things. He doesn't want us to avoid the idea of death. In fact, he wants us to uh, approach it differently. He wants us to approach it as people with hope. With hope in what? With hope in Jesus. And then, like, we've got to kind of stop there and say, like, what does that even mean? In Jesus It's not just like, okay, I sign up for Jesus. It's like, no, our hope, our peace is found in Jesus. Not being good enough, not trying to take enough slaps in in religious world, not trying to know enough stuff. No, it is in Jesus that his life, his death, his sacrifice, praise God he didn't just stay in a manger forever, his sacrifice... Covered our dead. And praise God, that wasn't the end of the story. That it was his bloodshed. It was his bloodshed. He went to death because of your sin and my sin. But he conquered death. And he says, come with me. He says, come with me. It's in Jesus in which we have the forgiveness of sins. It's in Jesus in which you were called. It's in Jesus where we find grace. It is in Jesus where we find redemption from all the broken places in our life. It's in Jesus where we find hope. Peace. It is able to weather any storm. You see... It isn't just physical death that's the issue, right? There's also all these little deaths that we suffer all the time. Deaths of dreams. Like this was what I hoped for and longed for. I have friends that we weep with who are longing for children or longing to be married or longing for fill-in-the-blank. Or we hear about a friend whose child is really struggling right now, and, and, and they're longing for peace in these things. And there are deaths of dreams that we experience all the time. And here's how this connects to our everyday life, because I don't know everything that you carry. It might be the death of a dream. It might be the death of relationships that feel so broken. Where is hope? Where is peace in this? It might be the death of a season in which you thought, this is what I'd hope for this season. In physiologically and in other ways, that season is past. And you don't know how to make sense out of this. But friends, if the ultimate death, life and death, has been conquered, all of these other things all of these other things are under his authority and his control, every bit of it. Our Advent season is for our every day. Our Advent season is for, uh, not just for a month, it's for our every day in which we're longing for this king to come. And it comes out of this spirit, it comes out of this place in which this king has conquered and he can conquer every aspect of, Of our lives, every place that feels broken, every place that feels hopeless, every place that is lacking peace, joy, this king is able. I love how Fleming Rutledge puts it. Fleming Rutledge has a a great work around Advent. It's such a resource. If you you are a reader, I would tell you to to pick this up. It's it's such a a fantastic thought. We wouldn't agree with every single word, but there's so much in it here that is just meat on the bone worth chewing on. And listen to what she says. Advent faces into death. Now just pause there for a second and think like how how we've approached Advent culturally and and how we've turned it into a cartoon simply around a manger. And yet Advent faces into death and looks beyond it to the coming judgment of God upon all that deceives twists, undermines, pollutes, contaminates, and kills his beloved creation. There can be no community of the resurrection without the conquest of death and the consummation of the kingdom of God. In those assurances lies the hope of the world. Fleming Rutledge sets our eyes on something bigger. Why? Because she believed the word of God. I'll pick it up right here in verse 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15. For this we declare to you, by a word from the Lord that he, pardon me, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Okay, so the, there are those who have already died who will be raised. And those who are living in the day that the Lord comes again, of which we've been singing, friends, that so we were like, Come, Lord Jesus. Come thou long-expected Jesus. We've just been singing this. There, there were going to be people who are alive in that day when the Lord comes, just as we've been praying. 4, verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There's so much to be said, right? There's so many ways I get distracted in this and my mind goes to a million questions around like, wait, what? Clouds, trumpets, all these things. Well, will I recognize that? No, well, I see those things, all sorts of, all sorts of crazy questions. It, like, man, people have written volumes around those few words, and they could not exhaust all the meaning, all of it, and they'll never be able to just put their finger on exactly what that will look like. But I don't want you to miss the crystal clear message in those words. We will always be with the Lord. I don't know what you're carrying into this place this morning. I don't know where you've been trying to find peace. In a bottle? on a site, through relationships, or through just being by yourself. I don't, I don't know where you've been chasing this down. But I know the only place in which real peace that conquers all other enemies is found. It's in the one and only Jesus who conquered death. And he says that in Jesus, death is only sleep. In which you will be raised up to walk with him and to be right there with him. See, the Bible gives multiple examples of this. It gives it several of those things. And in Mark, we walk through Mark in the spring. Like Mark tells a story about a father and a daughter, and his daughter was so sick. It was just a terrible moment. Like she is, she's going to die, and she did die. And this father comes pleading to Jesus to help. Jesus says Jesus says this, this is Mark chapter 5. Jesus says, she's just asleep. He says, she's just asleep. And guess what? The people around laughed at him. They laughed at him. If we're going to live a perspective that says, man, death does not have the final say. King Jesus has the final say in my life. People are going to laugh at you. People are going to laugh at you. But there's also another story which is so familiar, so beautiful. And even if you've never been in church, you've probably at least heard of the story or heard of this person. But Jesus had a, had a friend who died. His name was Lazarus. And, and Lazarus had sisters, and, and they come like send a message to Jesus Jesus, come. And we picked this up in John 11, and, and they're like, Jesus, come. And then he does come, but Lazarus has already died. And Martha is standing there, Mary and Martha. And Martha is like, he wouldn't have died if you were here. So is Jesus just like, "Nah, eh, I'm on my own time. I'm on God time. No, Jesus knows something about death that you and I need to carry in our bones. But death doesn't have the final say. And so we pick it up in John chapter 11, verse 11. You tell him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The very next verse says it this way. It says, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, can you just hear it in their tone? If he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, people. Keep up, keep up. Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe Let us go to him so that you would believe. You get to verse 26 and you skip down through this story of what happens. And Jesus says to Martha, he says this. He says these words that we need to hear today. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives believes in me. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? There's all sorts of places that we we, we try to run and chase peace or hope. Joy. Another good Christmassy word, joy. There's all sorts of uh, of places where we run and try to find these things. And Jesus again and again comes to us and says, all of that is found in him. Do you believe it?